This episode is brought to you by Mr. Andersonville himself, Olin Ergel, a local real estate advisor with App Properties. If you're looking for an honest and experienced advisor who knows and loves this neighborhood, Olin is the one to contact. Visit MrAndersonville.com to learn more about Olin and connect with him for an initial real estate consultation. Also during this month, follow him on Instagram at Mr.Andersonville and be entered into a raffle for a new Nest thermostat. Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura. Hi, I'm Kaylee. I am so excited to have Kaylee, our new Chicago semester intern, joining us as my co-host on today's podcast. Today, we are joined by Kristen Fogarty-Yee of Object Architecture. Object Architecture is a full-service custom residential architecture and design firm, creating beautiful, timeless, and livable homes from coast to coast. They specialize in residential architecture, kitchen and bath design, interiors, additions, renovations, new construction, historic renovations, and more. Kristen states, your home should be both beautiful and functional. You should never have to compromise the way you live because of poor design. Well, welcome, Kristen. How are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you? Great. Um, it's so nice to have you join us. Uh, you're you're a new chamber member to the Andersonville Chamber of Commerce, so um, we're excited to have you on. And uh, we don't get many architects, so so this is this is exciting. We have one other architect as a part of our membership, Joel Berman, um, who we had on quite a while ago. So it's uh, it's it's refreshing to have you have you join well, us. You. So yeah, so. You know, um, we usually start these interviews with with having our guests telling tell us a little bit about their background, um, you know, how they got into the field, their chosen field. So what's your journey been like? Um, so I'm originally from Minnesota and, you know, um, I actually uh, in college, I was dating a guy and his aunt was an architect. And so we were talking and I, my background is art. And so we were talking about art and architecture and she's like, the way you describe your art sounds very much like architecture. Have you ever thought about taking some architecture classes? And it's like, no, maybe I should. And I took an architecture class and I just, it was exactly what I wanted to do. It, it just fell in line because I grew up with watching this old house with my dad and doing home renovations. And I just, I've always loved houses and arranging furniture and just all those different things. And it just kind of made sense. And that's how I fell in love with it. And then, um, so I finished architecture school and then I moved to Chicago and I have been here for 16 years and working as an architect, a residential architect for 16 years. That's amazing. And did you go to, you went to school in Minnesota? I too? did. I went to the university of Minnesota. Yes. Okay. And what is that process? Like what is architecture school? What is that like? Um, so I did it a little different than they do it now. So um, architecture school there's several different programs you can go through. So now they require that either you have a professional degree, which is either a five-year program, which is a B-ARC degree or a master's in architecture. So you'd have an undergrad and then you get your uh, two to three-year master's program. Um, I, I'm a little older, so I went a little different method is that I have an undergraduate bachelor's of arts in architecture, and then I did a longer internship. So after you complete your professional education, you then have to do an internship. And usually it's two to three years, but because of I didn't have a master's degree, I did have to do a five-year program. Um, but that is working a job. It's, it's not anything different than working a job. You just log your hours as an intern. 
And then you go through that process. And once you finish that, you're able to take the licensing exams. And there, at the time I took them, there were seven. I think now there's five. And, um, you know, how did you go about coming up, um, you know, building your own practice, your own firm? What was that like for you? Yeah, so that's actually been an interesting journey. Um, you know, I've strangely decided to start my own practice during COVID, <laughs> which is a strange thing to do. Um, but I had been working at a residential firm for 15 years. I was a long-term employee, very involved in the business. But also on the side, I had been doing projects for, you know, small projects, kitchen renovations, additions, and whatnot for friends. And I've been doing that for 11 years. And during COVID, you know, my husband and I, we sort of before had our three to five year plan and we sort of started reevaluating things. And I was like, I really want to focus on my own business. And it just, everything fell in line. Well, I guess I want to know. Um, so you said you created your team during COVID. Is it just you primarily or do you have other people that you work with? Yeah, so it is just me, um, which for me is great. I mean, I worked at a firm that had about 15 people but every project was either one or two people. So I'm very used to working by myself with clients. So it doesn't feel that much different. And I always put together a team of, you know, a good structural engineer um, if it's needed for the project or a good interior designer if it's needed for a project. So I have really good connections here in Chicago that I'm easily able to branch out. Or even if I need additional help on drawings or anything, I have a team of people I used to work for that I can say, hey, you know, can you work as a consultant for me and do some drawings? So it, it works out really well. So on your Instagram page, you know, you showcase uh, a number of your nationwide projects that you've worked on. Have those all occurred kind of while you've been open as your own business? Or do you do you also have projects on there that you worked as a part of your old firm? Sure. So the ones that uh, you can see on my Instagram project, it's sort of an in-between. So uh, the one in Massachusetts, that was all on my own, but technically it was a side project. So it wasn't through my old firm, but I did that house completely by myself, the design and everything. Um, obviously, I didn't build it. It was built by a modular builder. And then the house in Oregon also, I, I did do that through my own firm, but I was the person that did all the design and everything through the process. So it was like it was part of my own firm. And how did you come to learn, uh, you know, about the Chamber of Commerce? Um, you're 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 based in Edgewater, is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So I'm actually working out of my home office. Uh, I've lived in this condo here in Edgewater for 15 years, and I love the neighborhood so much. Um, you know, I love Andersonville. It's my home. You know, how do I find local businesses? I always look towards the Chamber of Commerce. I follow them on Instagram. I'm always I like to know what's going on in the neighborhood and about events. And I was like, wait, I should be a member of that. That sounds like a really good organization to be involved in. So, you know, um, I love kind of home design and home renovation myself. So I could talk, probably talk to you for <laughs> hours and hours. Um, but I guess I'm curious, you know, what have your favorite projects been? Um, you know, it's so interesting, right, to have started this business during COVID. What have you, what have you so I guess there hasn't, you have your knowledge of being a part of a team pre-COVID and then solo during COVID and also a new business during COVID. Um, can you kind of talk about your experience with that shift and, and what you've learned through the process of, of opening your business during COVID and, and how it's been for you working um, as kind of your own boss? Sure. Um, so the interesting thing about, it was actually a, a easy transition for me because my work that I did on the side was all in my home working out of my home. So really it's just an expansion of me doing that full-time instead of part-time 
as I was doing before. So that was an easy transition for me. I know how to set up everything that I need. Um, the differences with COVID is construction slowed down a little bit, um, but it was a necessary um, business that stayed open. It's just, you can't have as many people working on a project at once. Um, also, you know, people, they determine whether they're comfortable meeting in person and being socially distanced and wearing masks or whether they want to do a Zoom call or whatnot. And now that people are so much more comfortable with Zoom calls, it's been really easy of a transition for me to be able to have a meeting, you know, and throw up the drawings on the computer that they can see and talk them through and, and all those different things that we used to do in a meeting, which is nice. And have you experienced kind of um, shortages of supplies and, and demands in that sort of way that have affected timelines? So a little bit. So the, the cost of lumber has actually gone up a lot. So we are seeing the cost of construction going up, which is unfortunate because, you know, no one wants to pay more for stuff that we need. And lumber is something we use a lot in construction because that's how we build the walls for lots of ways of building and um, whatnot. Um, timelines of things, it's just taking longer to get things, you know, we get a lot of products from China or Europe, um, you know, tile, a lot of our tile comes from Spain or Italy, uh, marble and things like that. So it's just taking longer to get supplies. So construction is taking longer than it typically would, as well as they can't have as many people on the job site. So that's adding to the timeline as well. So Kristen, I was just wondering if you could take us through how your design process works, uh, like from the initial client consultation to the finished pro project, what is it like? Yeah, sure. Um, so a client usually approaches me and they have an idea of what they would like to do to either their existing home or to what they want for a new home. And so we talk that process through. And if it's an existing home, I love to be able to go out if I can uh, to see it and walk through with them about the things they're thinking about, how they wanna live in the space, um, what their budget is, is always important as well. So I can really understand the, what, what their end goals are and how they want to live. And, you know, do they have a dog? Do they have, you know, kids and all these different things that are so important in how we live in our homes, especially during COVID. I think a lot of people now they're thinking, where do I do homeschooling? Where do I work from home when my husband's working from home and we're both on phone calls, you know, just thinking those things through. Um, so after that initial consultation, I put together a proposal and um, try to give a real understanding of what the architectural fees will be for completing the project how they would like. And then after that, I start the concept uh, phase, which is I will take, floor, if it's existing, I need to field measure the house so that I can put together existing plans or if the home happens to have existing plans. Um, but if it's a new home, it's sort of the same process without having to do those base drawings and I, I create concept drawings. So I like to create two to three different plans. And really it's just to start a conversation. It's not what the final design is gonna be. It's really just because I like having that collaboration with the client and because this is their home, this is their dream home. This is where their families are gonna grow up. I really love collaborating with them. So we go through the concept phase and we talk about the good parts that work for them and the parts that don't work for them. And then from that, we just keep moving forward in a collaborative way of working through designing what the end product will be. Um, and then eventually that turns into uh, a permit set that 
here in the city of Chicago, there's a permit process that we go through. If it needs zoning relief or whatnot, we go through that process. If it needs to be looked at by landmarks because it's a historic building or meet with a neighborhood group, um, there's all those different processes and every project is a little different for that. And then uh, we also start pricing the drawings with contractors. So oftentimes I like to reach out to about three contractors if the client doesn't already have a contractor that they've worked with before that they really like. And then we review those and determine, you know, does this, you know, is this over budget? Is this the right budget? Do we need to cut things? Do we need to add things, whatnot? And then um, after that, and also during those processes, we start to pick out finishes, you know, tiles, all the pretty stuff. I like to call it the frosting on the cake, you know, all that decorative, beautiful stuff so that we can put, you know, get the whole package together of what the house is going to look like. And then we start construction and we work together as a team. Um, so I will go to a job site and meet with a client. Uh, typically once a week, we'll meet with the client and the contractor and we'll go through everything that's going on to make sure you know, the contractor's building what the clients expect from the drawings, or if something comes up, you know, in renovations a lot, they'll open up a wall and we'll just find out something, you know, a beam has been cut because they wanted to run electric lines or something at some point and we need to address it, or it has old pipes in the wall or whatnot. So we look at those things and we're able to evaluate, you know, how we need to make changes to be able to create the design intent of the drawings. And so it sounds like you kind of you know, see the whole project through that you are very hands-on in terms of those finishes. So there isn't an outsourced kind of designer that will come in, kind of you help oversee all of that. Yeah. And it actually depends on the project. I mean, sometimes I have clients that want to bring in an interior designer um, because they, you know, they're really good at the what I call the soft goods. So the curtains and whatnot, but my skills, I'm really good at tile. I know lots about tile and stone and architectural finishes plumbing fixtures, kitchen layouts, cabinet details. Um, at my old job, they actually used to tease me and call me the queen of millwork um, because I had drawn so many intricate details of custom cabinets and whatnot. It's something that I really, I really, really love. And I pick out paint colors and all those things. And I've actually more and more that clients are asking, I've started helping pick out some of those soft goods as well. So brain, branching into that more and more. That's amazing. And, you know, you mentioned kind of like the hiccups that come through jobs. Um, do you have a story that you can share of a, of a job you've worked on where you just kind of uncovered something you would never have expected? Um, yeah. So I had, it, it's sort of strange to say, but it was a brand, it was a brand new house being built here in the city and they had poured the foundations of the house and then they started building the walls and their masonry. So a lot of work had been put in to this and then they started putting in the floors as well. And I get shop drawings. So what they do before they build, like a, they start cutting limestone or even cabinets, they send you drawings by the person who's gonna make them to review. And so I was reviewing the stone shop drawings and I was like, they're making, all these heights are wrong, what's going on? And I'm like, how did you come up with these solutions that are not following my drawings? And they're like, well, we went out field measured. And I was like, what? So I went out to the field and after a long sort of like measuring things and figuring everything out, they had actually dug the basement six inches lower than it was supposed to be, which sounds like not a big deal, but it actually 
is a big deal in the grand scheme of things because it affects all the stairs that are going to be built. It affects all the window locations, all the floor location, everything. So it was sort of like, what? So it, it took a bit of time to figure out how to fix that solution, but we eventually figured it out. Definitely a lot of patience, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Do you but have that sort of, sorry to interrupt my, that's sort of my attitude is that when there's a problem, I don't run away from it. I'm really like, let's, let's figure out a solution because there's problems with everything. I mean, there, and you may find a better creative solution out of find, uncovering something as well. I mean, maybe you uncover something in a wall and you discover some interesting brick or whatnot that might be, end up being something very gorgeous and an architectural feature that you can have in your home. And for that particular project, did you end up just working with the extra six inches or did you? Well, yeah, because we can't, you can't really solve the problem of the basement being deeper without a lot of extra work and money. And that's not a good solution. Um, what we did is that one of the floor, we were able to move one of the floors, which it was painful and it did cost money. It did not cost the client money because it was the contractor's mistake. Um, and then I, was able to figure out how we could get just the different trims and the different stairs, how we could adjust them to make a solution that didn't have to tear the whole house apart. That's, that's amazing. Really cool to see. <laughs> um, I love seeing the process or hearing about the process of how houses come to be. Um, yeah. Going back, exposed brick is one of my favorite um, added pieces to any house. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, would you, or do you have a favorite project you've ever worked on? I know it's probably really hard to pick or even like a favorite room, um, any kind of design, like what, which one stands out to you the most? You know, it's super, super hard because I actually, every project of mine, because they are custom, they're completely different from each other. So they are all special to me in many, many, many ways. You know, I, I got the opportunity to design a two-story library that has a suspended uh, glass and steel floor and all this intricate detailing. And that was really fun. But I would say, you know, of all things and all the really amazing budgets that I've had, my favorite is a house that I remodeled for my in-laws. So they have a mid-century modern, very simple house. And my husband and I came up with this idea that we were going to send them away for four months and remodel their house. So they didn't they knew we were remodeling, but they didn't know what was happening. And we got to surprise them in the end, like an HGTV show. And it was just so much fun to do that. That's very cool. Where did, where did they go during that, that time? They went to my sister-in-law's house, which is a okay. typical thing they do because she has young kids. So they'll often go visit her for months at a time to hang out with the kids. So it worked out really well. And what was their reaction when they were able to come back and, and see the big reveal? So they knew nothing about it the whole time. You just kept everything secret. Right. Well, a little bit. So um, what happened is our contractor had to, we, he knew he had a scheduled time to go on vacation in the middle. So he had to start a little bit early. So we did tear down one of the walls while my mother-in-law was there. And I have this great picture of her just like looking at the wall, like what is going on? And then, so we, my husband and I walk in and we're like, this looks great. And then we're driving home and the contractor calls us and he's like, um, your mom is telling us to put the wall back. And we're like, no, don't put the wall back. So she, they, they got a little taste, but they didn't understand the big picture of why we were taking down the wall and being able to relocate 
um, being able to add a kitchen island and expand that island and move the dining room. And it what it's not a big house, but these little little um, changes really just impacted how they're able to live and like hang out with their family in the house. Yeah, and one thing I've um, I've kind of read about during during people kind of dealing with their homes now during this time is. Um, is they're looking for, you know, how we have, we kind of, there was that big trend and now we've shifted to these kind of open space floor plans with the kitchen, dining, living all in this kind of area and how that hasn't worked so well now. And so everyone's looking for acoustic separation. Have you kind of had to deal with that and, and what have been your solutions to, to define spaces uh, for noise control? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of different things that come along with having an open floor plan. A, a lot of times, you know, I get people, they're like, I have no mudroom, I have no place to put this. And, um, you know, just all in the acoustic separation and all these different things or just smells of the kitchen going into other spaces. So it's really just reflecting on what is needed for that particular home. There's ways of adding, maybe you just need to put on some glass doors that you know, there's a set of pocket doors that they live open 90% of the time, but when you need that separation, you can just close it down. I often do that for mudrooms because most of the time you're running in and out, but if you have guests over, you don't want them to see your mess. So you just have a way to close it down or adding softness to a room, you know, adding curtains really helps drown out that noise that really echoes in those big spaces as well. Um, there's lots of different ways to deal with it, but I, you know, the open floor plan seems like a good idea, but in practice, sometimes it just isn't the best solution for a home. And, you know, you mentioned that you're the, the queen of millwork, um, which <laughs> we're, we're excited to be able to say, um, you know, but um, do you, do you, you know, do you have a particular style? Do you have, um, you know, a particular kind of era um, in architecture that you are drawn to? Do you like modern? Do you like Victorian? Do you know, do you like the craftsman? You know, what, what kind of, um, kind of gets your energy flowing? I don't have a favorite. Uh, what I love about my job is that every project is different. I think if I just did the same design over and over again, I'd be bored. And I love really, you know, if someone comes to me and they're super passionate about a craftsman style and restoring a house to its former glory, I'm all about it. And I'm let, let's go. Um, but if they want super modern and contemporary, you know, beachy white on white on white, I love that too. I, I really love just learning from my clients what they really love and being able to take that to the next level for them and really give them their dream home. Do you tend to have like a signature piece though that you include in every home? I would say it's hard to visually show that other than a floor plan because, you know, talking to my different clients and, you know, just reflecting on the work that I've done, I think it really comes out in my floor plans and how people function in the home much more than it does a visual image of like, oh, I always do a black kitchen or what, something like that. It's really, I'm really focused on, I like when you're in one room, but you can still walk into another room and you are focused on a view because you really get to experience the spaces. You're not walking into the corner of a cabinet or whatnot. I like, you know, that the, if you're walking into a room, you can see like the fireplaces on center or, you know, from, you can view your beautiful kitchen from one of the other rooms, even if it's more closed off, just so you can get a little sense of that beautiful kitchen that you love while you're sitting in that other room. I, I'm really 
the floor plans I design are about experience and how you use the space. And I think that's my signature style. Yeah. So I did a little research and I got to see that one of your homes was featured in Modular Home Builders Association as the home of the month for January 2021. Um, congratulations, by the way. Uh, what has the response been like for your business? Um, it's actually really great. So that's an interesting project and how I found out that I was featured in that. I knew the builder was entering um, that into uh, the content. It's like a contest that they choose a specific you know, people enter and then someone is selected each month. I knew he was entering, but I kind of forgot about it. And I woke up one morning at 6 a.m. and I looked at my phone and I got this um, random LinkedIn message from an architect in Spain saying, congratulations, I design modular homes and I really like your design. And I, that was featured. And I was like, what is he talking about? So it was a really fun way to find out about that. And just, you know, what what's so different about that particular project is that it's modular and that's something I hadn't done before. And it's a different way of thinking, but yet it's a super customized home, but it was built in a factory. I mean, I have videos. Um, I've posted a few on my Instagram of how they put the house together. And it, it was so weird to me because I'm used to, you know, they build the foundation and then they build the walls and then they put up the side, you know, they do the different methods, but here, they build the foundation and then they put little boxes on a crane and they drop them in place. <laughs> and you already have the installed floors or you already have the installed doors with door hardware. And that's like, whoa, it really looks like a house in a matter of weeks, which is crazy. You just don't see that with traditional building. It's very cool. Um, I think it's very cool. And that and the, and the shipping container homes and all of that, I just, you know, I mean, it, it seems, you know, and, and it's hard to do that. It's hard to like shift to those kind of kind of designs when you're in an already built city, like the city of Chicago, right? To plop those things in. It's right. just like a drastic, like what doesn't belong on this block. And then you see it morph over time, right? So, um, you, you know, you, you see, I, I'm trying to think what the neighborhood is um, kind of west of California. Um, where you... you you, um, yeah, maybe it's west of California, but like it's north of the uh, Swedish hospital and you go oh. in there and there's such a conglomeration of architecture styles. It's like who, every, any style goes here. It's sort of just like, you will see, you will see, you know, a really modern home to a, you know, a basic kind of, you know, branch style home. And it's so interesting in that neighborhood. Um, but yeah, as more and more people kind of get used to the idea, I think it's a very kind of efficient way to, to build a home. Yeah. And I mean, some of the reason we don't have it a lot in Chicago is because of building codes and they just haven't had a way to review those. Um, why it worked out in Massachusetts is that they have a system that they are able at the state level to review those drawings and approve that this can be built in a factory and come out to a site and they don't need a building inspector to look that outlets are in the right places and all those different things, which some municipalities just don't have that yet. Um, but I agree with you. Maybe it's Edgebrook or Saganosh that you're speaking of. Yeah, is, maybe. Yeah. yeah, sort of out there. Yeah, I always yeah. think it's so interesting. My my son has a friend who lives over there and I always drive through and I was like, who, you know, who's kind of in charge of this layout? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> everything in Chicago is like so uniform. Like you go down and it's like, you're going to see, you know, 
the the regular row, kind of row homes and and everything kind of makes sense right and that neighborhood to me just like doesn't make sense so. right yeah I worked on a house there and it's actually a 1960s house but the rest of the community is all Victorian so it was a historic district which is really weird because I had to go to landmarks for this very simple house that looked nothing like the other houses and I'm like we don't have these things, but I just want to do this little change on the outside to this house. But that's what I love about Chicago. I mean, we have so many beautiful different kinds of architecture. And what I love about a city is it's constantly changing and evolving. And we're able to just have, you know, you can modernize a vintage building with a few simple changes, like maybe you change the color of the exterior windows and it freshens it up. You know, there's just different ways to approach all the buildings we have. And, um, you know, what kind of tips do you have for kind of folks looking to renovate now? Where do you, um, where do you think that they should start kind of before, while they're kind of making decisions about kind of what architect to go with? What's, what's the first thing? I think ask your friends, if you have friends that have done renovations, ask them about their experiences, because they're going to give you their honest opinions, especially about contractors or architects they've worked for or worked with. Um, also, you know, start to put together, you know, things that you like, you know, put together a Pinterest board, put together a house page to really understand or cut out pictures from magazines, you know, of just what you're looking to do. And also start thinking about a budget about how much you want to spend on your home, because that that's really the thing that drives all renovation projects. You know, I can design you the most beautiful thing, but if it's not in the budget, you know, you're not going to do it. But there's different ways to What's great about an architect or designer working with them is that they will help you work through that process and they'll help you figure out what's worth spending money on, what's not. So in the long run, you may spend a little bit on a designer and architect that you maybe wouldn't have in the first place, but they will help you get the same, get the same budget, but you'll have more out of it if that makes sense. So for example, I always say this about kitchen designs, you know, oftentimes people design it, a homeowner will design a kitchen once, but I've designed a hundred kitchens. So me being able to give you advice is very helpful in that process because I can talk through why something doesn't work in its location or, you know, different flows of how different things work, which will be valuable to you and how you use your home. I, I do want to ask, um, have you taken any advice from any mentors? Do you have somebody that you look up to or have looked up to over the years? That's a hard question. I really, I, I learned so much from the contractors I work with and the other architects I work with, you know, to me, that collaborative process, you know, I don't know everything about everything and I don't pretend I do. And I, it's really important to me that everyone sort of have that attitude because we all learn from each other. And so when I, you know, go to a job site and, a contractor says, you know, I, I love this design, but I think the way it needs to be constructed is a little different. What about this? Or we can save a little bit of money with this or a little bit of ease. I, I love those conversations because I learn and that helps move my next project. So that's the, I don't have anyone particular that I'm just like, I love this, you know, famous architect or whatever. I actually just, I, I love all sorts of home design and I look towards everyone for inspiration. And what about your experience um, with travel? You know, I don't know how's that, how that's been for you during COVID, but um, but you have traveled a lot around the world in the past. Do you have, um, you know, a particular city that inspires you or um, kind of what do you take from from your travels and how do you implement those into your into your work? 
I love travel. It's actually my favorite thing. And that's actually been my saddest thing about COVID is that I can't travel. Um, my husband and I were actually planning to go to New Zealand last year and that just not happening. <laughs> um, but I love when we go someplace, I love exploring a city and seeing the architecture, staying in a home rental or even a hotel, just picking up different details that they may do in that country. I know um, we've traveled to Asia quite a bit and just there's certain things that they have there. So for example, in a house right now, um, I'm a big cyclist and the clients are big cyclists. So they, they bike often, they don't have a garage or anything. So we were talking about different ways of getting their bikes in and out of the house. And I was like, oh, in Japan, they have these ramps that they build into their stairways. And this is a perfect thing that we could do in your home. So you can easily take your bikes down here and put them in a little storage in your house. And we're like, that's awesome. Or another house that I had done, they're very into gardening. So an addition I had put onto the house, I said, why don't we do rain chains instead of doing downspouts so you can have these beautiful you know, rain chains coming down, they sound really pretty. And then a beautiful garden at the bottom of it, you know, it, it just, I'm inspired by all sorts of things from travel. Um, but during COVID, it's been trickier. Um, I did have to fly commercial back from Oregon and it was just, you know, trying to be as safe as possible. Um, I, I have a project that I'm starting soon in Palm Springs, California. And we just discussed that you know, I'll do as much as I can without going out there and, you know, using them as my eyes and ears and the contractor as my eyes and ears and doing the best that we can through video. Uh, the modular project I did in um, Massachusetts, I only went to that site twice, you know, because we were able to communicate very well through photos and phone calls and all those different things, which has been really helpful during COVID. Well, that's incredible that you were able to kind of get that project done in that way, because, you know, I would think that being kind of there and hands on in the, on the project is, is sort of integral, but that's, that's great to hear. So clearly that was some good communicating between you and the folks on site. Yeah. And it being a modular house, it, it, there's just less to putting together the systems. Um, and also, you know, at some, at some point, you know, I'd love to be there all the time and be able to go, hey, we should move this here or move a duct here so we can ha have a different kind of soffit or whatnot. But sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. So it's just trying to work everyone together is really important, that good communication with the contractor. And I don't know if you kind of feel the same way, but um, you know, I, I love to travel too and, and kind of see what what other cities are doing. Um, but I always feel, you know, I love, I've been in the city of Chicago my entire life. I was, I was born and raised here, but I always find that we always play it a little bit safe here with design. And I feel I, ha I have to venture out to, um, to see more risk-taking kind of what, what would you hope, you know, what, what do you see with your clients and that kind of like, oh, you know, should I do that? Like, where do you push them um, to kind of, kind of, to kind of, you know, get outside their comfort zone a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that, that is a big challenge in my, my job. Um, Cause lots of times, you know, people are like, oh, I want to see a picture of how that's been done. And I'm like, well, it's a new idea. It's never been done before. So I try to do that through showing 3d models and being able to visually communicate my ideas to them as much as possible. And, you know, people are always so focused on uh, resale value. And I, I, keep saying to people, these, these are your homes. These are where you're raising your family. Uh, your kids are growing up. 
And lots of people, this is their long-term home. And by the time they sell it, someone's going to remodel it anyway. So they should really make their home how they want it to be. Because if a home is beautiful, it doesn't really matter if it's not, you know, a white kitchen with gray walls, because if it looks beautiful, someone's going to want to buy it anyway. And have you worked on, I'm, I'm blanking on what they're called now, um, how people are building the the units are kind of outside their homes um they're like accessory coach dwelling house. units coach yeah house? they're like they're like coach houses but they're the they're uh, they're it'll come to me where you're where like you're building your office outside of your house like on the in in kind of more um kind of suburban areas or people with have kind of larger backyards where they're building like secondary dwelling units sort of uh to to act as workspaces so I haven't worked on that. I have worked on houses, coach houses in the city where people have done that. Because historically, if you have a coach house on your property, you are able to remodel it and there's certain rules. Um, but recently they've started working on bringing those back so that mm -hmm. people can actually build coach houses, which I think is a great thing um, for people. So certainly I have um, remodeled coach houses to be workspaces for people, but not, not new ones in the suburbs. But I'm I'm open to a first. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I read about. I think they were trying to do do that a lot in Evanston, where they would utilize those back uh, spaces to create more housing opportunities for folks. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about affordable housing, you know, being able to have more than one principal dwelling unit on a piece of property just really helps. I mean, in a city having that density really helps with the environment in lots of ways because you don't need to drive as much. You don't need as many utilities and all these different aspects that come along with that, which was really nice. Well, this used to be me. Um, I always wanted to be an architect or interior designer growing up, but um, if there is one piece of advice you could give to someone who wants to be an architect or designer someday um, that you wish you might've known starting out, what would it be? Oh, that's, there's so many things I could say to that. Um, I think number one, if you're in the profession, and I actually had a college professor that said this the first day of class. And he's like, if you are in the, if you want to be in the profession of architecture to make money, leave now because you, you're going to be better off working in finance and being a patron of architecture because you will make more money and you can afford to build these beautiful homes or buildings or whatever you might want to do. Um, so that's one, one advice. Um, but if you love architecture, I mean, work someplace and learn from people. That's how I know how to do everything is just getting myself involved in things. Um, and really not sitting back and being just, you know, I, I don't know how to explain it. Just it, getting involved in being curious, going to job sites. I mean, I learned the most really from going to a job site when I was younger is that I can do drawings all day long, but until you actually have those drawings in the hand of a contractor and they're going, I don't understand these, what are you trying to tell me? You don't understand how to communicate with them very well until you have that experience and you're like, oh wait, they don't understand what I mean if I shortcut this word or, you know, having that, that communication, I've learned so much from just having that interaction with contractors going, Hey, this is the tool I'm trying to tell you what the design is and I'm giving it to you, these drawings, how can I communicate best in there? Cause sometimes it's just taking a photo and sketching over it instead of doing a really complicated, you know, 
building section and all these complicated things we learn in architecture school. Sometimes the easiest thing is just to take some blocks of wood and go, hey, cut it here and do that because that's how we communicate. And don't be afraid. Having having confidence is really important too. Don't be afraid of being wrong because it's okay. That's very good advice. I think uh, oftentimes we don't we don't try because for that fear of failure and we miss out on a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, and 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 you talking about your your conversations with the contractors. You know what you know, what have you found kind of works best and, and has there been a time where you kind of butt heads with a contractor and how did that get resolved? Yeah, I've definitely had projects where I've butted head with contractors. They've told me, no, you can't do that. And I just, I'm like, well, why don't we look at it? I, you know, as a woman being on a job site, it's very different than being a man. I can't sit there and I can't scream and yell at people because unless I have to, I mean, I've had to do that sometimes, but that's not my approach in anything. It's really how, you know, I need to figure out what, how I can talk to them and convince them to try something they're telling me not to do. Cause I get a lot of times, like I've been doing it this way for 20 years, which always makes me concerned. Cause we, I like to think we grow and learn and we should change things. Um, so I've definitely had those conversations and I just, I do the best I can to say, I appreciate that you disagree with me, but why don't we try this? Because we're trying to do, we both work for the client and we're trying to achieve a goal. So let's just try it and see if it works. And a lot of times it works. And then I get the contractor going, you know, actually that was a really good idea. And actually you were right, you know? And it's like, ah, why didn't you listen to me in the first place? But you know, whatever we need to do to get to the place where my clients are happy is what, what I will do for sure. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking during this interview, but, you know, it is true when you're working, you know, as as a female identified person in this kind of male dominated field and kind of those hurdles that that, you know, you it's just another layer of of kind of what you have to kind of go through um, where, you know, oftentimes they feel like you don't know what you're talking about, even though you've been in this industry for so long and you've worked on, you know, hundreds of projects. Yeah, it it gets tough sometimes. Yeah. You know, I've. I've been called sweetie. I've been told to go get the coffee. I've, you know, had, had the range I've had where they've confused me with being the homeowner. I've had an inspector like start bashing the architect because they didn't know I was the architect. You know, I've had different, different things, but they're all, they are all funny stories in the end. But um, that's why as young women, I'd really love to see us get more involved in construction because I would love to work with female contractors. I think women would, it's a really good job for a lot of people being an electrician or a plumber, uh, carpenter. They're all great jobs and really work well if you want to have a family and all these different things. So I'd love to see more young women get involved in construction because I want to work with you. I really do. I'd love to work with some women contractors. And and you yourself, do you, um, you know, have you kind of delved into kind of that kind of aspect, you know? you know, do you work on uh, some of the project hands-on with the carpenter? Like, are you able to kind of use carpentry tools or do you paint ever, or how does that, or do you kind of kind of stay away from all of that and leave it to your employees? Yeah. So as an architect, um, when I have clients, I cannot do that because we we have a separation legally that we we can observe, but we can't do that because the contractor is responsible legally for, you know, how something is built. So 
there's this fine line that you sort of have, it's called means and methods. You know, I can advise how go, this is my design intent and think about it that way. And I can do a drawing of how I think the parts go together and whatnot, but ultimately the contractor has to be responsible for that. Obviously on my own projects that I do for myself, I am a swing the hammer, break out the saw, install tile. I, 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 because I have that experience, that's actually another thing that I'd say to some young architects, go learn, go to the Brick Institute and build a brick wall. It's really hard to do. So once you know that's really hard to do, you'll think about it totally different when you're drawing or designing something. Um, or, you know, learn, learn how, go build some, spend a summer building roofs, you know, working at building roofs. I mean, you just learn so much through any, anytime you try, I'm a person who learns hands-on. So for me, having those experiences are so much more beneficial than just sitting in a classroom, learning how to do some drawings and coming up with some designs because I actually know how things function and seeing how there can be building failure with water infiltration and all these different things that are really important for an architect to understand. Yeah, that's really great advice. We are going to go into some um, rapid fire questions here. Sounds um, great. <laughs> Kaylee, do you want to kick us off with the first one? I would love to. Um, so first question, pretty simple. Are you a cat or dog person? I'm a cat person. I have a cat named Dinah Washington. She has her own Instagram if you want to follow her. <laughs> I will write out this. <laughs> Dinah Washington the cat. <laughs> I adopted her from Treehouse. How long have you had her? I've had her for six years. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I've uh, a lot of people, you know, have acquired pets during during COVID, and and a lot of pets are getting their their IG fame. Uh, we have a, a friend in, <laughs> in in New York who is sassy sassy in the city. She's a she's oh, a cute. she's a city she, you know a city cat. So <laughs> all right. Would you consider yourself a foodie and you have a favorite dish and have you been cooking more in COVID? Um, so I like to cook in general. That's why I love doing kitchen design because I actually grew up with my grandmother teaching me how to cook and bake. And I've just always loved watching cooking shows on PBS and all those things. So I, I am cooking a bit more because my husband and I also used to love going to all the restaurants and just eating out a lot. So in that aspect, yes, I'm cooking more. Um, and yes, I am a foodie. I have flown all over the world to eat amazing food. I mean, I've been to Peru to eat at Central. I've been to Singapore to eat chicken and rice. You know, I just, I love, I love food. I'm a Midwesterner. I, I love food. I don't have a favorite dish because I love everything, but if you have to choose something just because it's always good, even if it's bad, it's pizza for sure. What, what is your, what is your pizza, your go-to pizza topping list? Oh, I'm a person who likes it. It depends. I mean, it, and it also depends where I'm getting the pizza from. I am a huge fan of Middlebrow. Um, they're really good pizza and I like their pepperoni pizza is really good, but they also have a mushroom pizza. That's really good. And they're so drastically different from each other. Um, yeah. And then also, I mean, Lou Malnati's classic with, with sausage. It's just delicious. For sure. Okay, so moving on, do you have a favorite spot in Andersonville? Would that be a restaurant or a shop? Oh, that's hard too because I love so many places. And um, I mean, I I've been going to Hopley forever, and I just I love that place. It, 
and it's funny when I first moved to this neighborhood, most people were like, I don't know where that neighborhood is. And I was like, do you, have you ever been to Hopleaf? They're like, oh yeah, I love that place. Like everyone knows Hopleaf. Um, so classic, you know, it's a great place to just, my husband and I can pop out and grab beer, you know, and usually it's kind of become a tradition in the last few years on um, Christmas Eve, we'll go out and get a beer at Hopleaf. And unfortunately we couldn't do it this year. So that would, that would be one of my favorite places, but there's so many to choose from. Yeah, Hopleaf is just an amazing Andersonville institution. So, and we're, um, you know, Michael has made the decision to kind of stay closed and, and, uh, and, you know, the neighborhood can't wait for them to be able to open back up and safely again. So yeah, you are, you are in good company with that, that <laughs> choice. Um, so we talked a little bit about travel. Uh, do you have a favorite travel destination? And, you know, you had said you were, you know, you would, you were planning a trip to New Zealand that got canceled, but Besides New Zealand, is there anywhere else um, that you would want to visit? So your favorite and then and then where you would want to go? Uh, my favorite's really hard. I would say I have two favorites that I've, well, that's it's so hard. Um, so I lived in the Caribbean when I was young. So I just have a special place for the Caribbean in my heart. Um, I got married in Italy because it's amazing. And my husband and I just, we've been to Japan a couple of times because it's just everything about Japan is awesome. Um, where I want to, I really want to go to New Zealand. I've heard it's amazing. Uh, I had clients that were there literally days before we shut down and they're like, if we had gotten stranded there, we wouldn't have been sad about it. <laughs> right. So I just, I really want to go to New Zealand, but I want, I really want to go everywhere. I mean, I just love travel so much. As someone who has dreamt of going to Italy, where did you get married? I got married, um, at a villa called the Villa Petrolo, they make wine, which is very delicious. And it's in Tuscany and it's amazing. We rent it. They have a main villa there and we were able to rent that and have all our friends and family stay in one, that big villa for a week, which was just amazing because you could walk out the door and they grow figs and olives. And actually, so Jamie Oliver, the chef, that's where he takes his young chefs to be trained in Italian cooking. And if you like his cookbook, uh, Jamie Oliver's Italy or Italian cooking. Most of those recipes are from the Villa Petrolo. And those are the people that made our wedding dinner, which was phenomenal. I just, the food, I can't even, you know, we have some good Italian food, but it's not, you just, you can't get the, the, you know, tomatoes fresh from the land. You know, it's just, it's so amazing. You have to go to Italy. It's amazing. It's the difference beautiful. in tomatoes is yeah. I mean, just, just produce in general, yes. like, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's mind blowing when you're like, when you can get a fresh tomato like that. Cause I, you know, I love, I love tomatoes. Like I could eat tomatoes for every meal. <laughs> so yeah, a little salt and pepper on top, can't a little salt and pepper. Nope. Can't go wrong. <laughs> so my mother-in-law grows tomatoes and she grows way too many. And so she'll give me cases of tomatoes and I will just roast them in the oven for three hours with some good olive oil, salt and pepper, garlic and onions, and then just make a sauce out of it. And then we've got sauce all winter long because it's just, mm -hmm. and it's so easy to make. It's so good. Yeah, for sure. All right. If you could design a home anywhere, uh, where would that be? Oh, that's a, that's a tough question too. That's actually a question my husband and I have all the time. We're like, where, you know, if we were going to have a vacation home, where would it be? What would it be? I don't know. I mean, I, I just love designing so much. I don't think I can just do one. <laughs> I'd have to do one and then sell it and then do another one. So I, I don't know. That's a really hard question. <laughs> 
if you were to build maybe, yeah, if you think about building yourself a, a vacation home, do you, do you have an idea of where that would be though at all? I don't, I'd love it to be on the ocean. Just, I love being on the water. Um, my project in Oregon is right on the beach and it's just, it has so the, beautiful nano walls. So it's a 19 foot by 10 foot tall door and you just fold it away and the living room is just completely open to the ocean and you see whales out there. You see sea lions. I mean, it's just phenomenal. And they have these rock formation islands that they call haystacks and you see them out of the windows. And I actually, in one of, there was a fireplace going up to the second floor on the second floor roof on the second floor deck. I cut a hole in it and put a window. So you have this perfect view of one of the haystacks and are really able to sit there and just enjoy the beauty of it. I mean, they're I love on the ocean. It's beautiful. Yeah. I, lived, I lived on a boat in the Caribbean and I just, I love being on the water. So if I could have a house on the ocean anywhere, it would be amazing. Maybe not Antarctica, but right. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere comfortable. Yeah. The, the coast of Oregon was one of my favorite places to go visit. I, I fell in love with it during, um, cause I was a big Goonies fan growing up. Uh, and so I had to go to Astoria and then down the coast just because I like had to like immerse myself in what was the Goonies, but I, they are incredible. It is just, the beaches are, are so wide there and yeah, it's amazing. It's beautiful. I mean, my client originally wanted to build a house in Malibu and they're like, there's just too many people. We want to be where there's no one. And so that's how that project came about. And I had never been to the coast of Oregon before that. And the first time I went to the job site to just see the land because they had purchased a house and tore it down. I was like, this is amazing. And I'm like, so in the design, I was like, I want from every room, you can see the ocean. And from almost every room, not from the powder room, but from in the garage, but in the, in the laundry room, but the important <laughs> rooms, every bedroom you can see, um, every main bathroom you can see, the kitchen has a beautiful corner window and the living room has that 19 foot door. I mean, it's just, as much as you can focus on the ocean was really important to me. I mean, I, I had where the front door is centered on a window that looks right out to the ocean. So you open that door and you know, you're at the beach. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful, really beautiful. Sounds stunning. Yeah. Um, speaking of you saying you lived on a ship, I immediately thought of the Goonies in my dream of living <laughs> on that pirate ship. So it's funny that you brought that up, Laura. I grew up on it and I, I adore the Goonies. Yes, um, it is. It's a classic. <laughs> it is such a classic and underrated, I think. But moving on to our final rapid fire question, in your opinion, I know this is going to be hard too. What is one staple design piece that can bring a room together? Oh, well, you have to pick a room because every room is different. <laughs> kitchen. You love the kitchen. Staple thing in the kitchen. Oh, wow. Countertop space. You can never get countertop space is so valuable in so many ways. I mean, I know, you know, restaurant chefs are used to working in tiny little kitchens, but I'm a person who likes to spread out. And when I remodeled my kitchen, because I had minimal counter space, I remodeled my kitchen in my condo. I added no more footprint, but I added so much more counter space and it, it just functions so much better for me. It just is amazing. And, you know, you, you talked, um, you talked about your love of tile. Do you have a particular tile that you go back to or, or that you kind of, you know, that you love so much that you, you want to incorporate at some place? 
Oh, I don't, but I do keep samples of tiles that I wait for years to be able to put in someone's house. <laughs> I'll just like collect it. I'm like, this is beautiful. And I'm going to try to see if this client will like it or this client will like it. I mean, the, the um, tile that I did in my own powder room, I had that sample for five years before I, I had installed it in my own home. <laughs> I mean, I just, I love the artistry of tile. There's just so many different kinds. You can change it up with different patterns. It's just so amazing. I was fortunate. I worked on this one project where I did a completely custom mosaic floor. And so I did a very whimsical drawing and they made a floor out of it. It was just in, you know, got to see the stone cutter sit there and cut each piece by hand. It was just beautiful and phenomenal. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, uh, we really, we really liked having you on. Thank you. I've really enjoyed this. It's been so fun. And um, where can people, people find more information about, about you and, and your firm and how to get in touch with you? Sure. So you can go to my website, which is objectarc.com, and that's object with a K uh, because I'm Kristen with a K. Um, and that you can also link to my Instagram page through that and see a lot of photos of projects I'm working on, projects I've worked on in the past. And you can contact me through my email, which is Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-I-N at objectarc.com as well. Or you can call me on my cell phone, which is 612-819-7454. And reach out to me and we'll have a discussion about your home. Amazing. And we will, um, you know, we'll link to, to some of, of Kristen's work on our, um, on our website at andersonville.org where we'll post the show notes and, and some links to some of the great information and tips you've heard here. All right. Thank you. Thank guys. you. Always Andersonville. The podcast is produced by the Andersonville chamber of commerce and currently recorded via zoom. We thank you for your listenership. And if you like the podcast, Please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting platform. We are also actively looking for podcast sponsors to sustain our production. Please email us at info at andersonville.org for more information. Thank you for your continued support, for staying active in our community, and for staying always Andersonville.